0: How's it going, San Diego? Braden Sipreda here with our new episode, our brand new episode with this new show that we're launching called Inside the Huddle. It is a podcast that is going to be by coaches, with coaches, and for coaches. And and what we're going to do is we're going to talk town hall style at the the end of every podcast about one topic each week uh, when it pertains to... San Diego high school sports uh, on the opening podcast right here. What we're going to talk about is the new CIF rule that is kind of limiting whether or not players limiting players in their um, you know ability to play multiple games in a week when it comes to the football sense. Which is going to be a great, interesting topic that I know a lot of you have opinions about. Aside from that, we're also going to interview coaches, you know, just straight up learning about their background, how they got into coaching, what their coaching philosophies are, you know, talking about their teams and their players as their season goes on. Um, and, and today we got a pretty good show for you. I, we, we, we're, we're trying to have multiple aspects of the county on every week. So this week we got a representative from the City League in uh, Kurt Hines. He coaches a head coach at Coronado. And then we got Ron Berner Sr. out in the East County. He coaches at El Cap. And then representing the North County today, we got coach Ron Gladnick, the head coach at Torrey Pines High School. All football coaches. Today's going to be a more football show because of the topic of discussion today. And we're excited to to get things going with this. So, what, without further ado, let, let's dive into this topic that we're going to discuss today. And it's it's CIF, like I said earlier, passing a, a rule that kind of limits kids playing multiple games in the same week. You can still do that according to CIF, depending on where you live, because each league has their own rules. The Grossmont League, you can't do it at all anyway. Same with the North County League, but this mostly affects the City League. And what what happens is is what they're going to do now is if you want to have a kid on your team or a player on your team play either in a freshman game and a JV game in the same week, a JV game and a varsity game in the same week, freshman, varsity, what have you, they have to abide by certain rules. These new rules enforced are going to be, first of all, self-monitored. So the coach itself has to uh, monitor all his own players and his own program, which could have some problems, but we'll get into it in a second. As far as playing requirements are concerned, you either play one half of the game, you play one half of the game on the lower level and play both ways, or you play the entire game at the lower level and play one side of the ball. If you do that, then you're eligible to play one half of varsity football and special teams. Special teams are included. You can play any special team on JV and any special team on varsity. Um, but that's essentially um, the gist of the rules is is they want to kind of limit the amount of time you're playing on both levels. They do not want you playing an entire football game on the JV or var- freshman level and then playing an entire football game on the varsity level or an entire football game on the freshman level and then an entire football game on the JV level. Uh, what they're trying to do is they're trying to – I think eventually they're trying to turn this into not having kids play multiple levels in the same week um, by putting in all these all these requirements. The other requirements that you need is you need a parent or guardian to sign for it. You need a student-athlete to sign for it. You need the athletic director to sign for it. You need athletic trainer to sign for it. And you need the head football coach, I think for JV and for varsity or whatever two teams are playing, to also sign this document. That document also needs to be on file at school at any time if they want to go and check to make sure it is signed. So that is another requirement. The other requirement is you have to sit down with each individual player that you want to have play multiple levels and explain to him the risks that are involved, explain to him why, why you want them to play multiple games in, in one week, and, and, and go over it with him and his parents before you actually make that decision. These are all multiple things that need to happen in order for a player to play in a JV game, and then a varsity game. And it could be in the same night, it could be in the same week. But those are the new rules. My take on this is I think ideally when you look at it big picture, it's probably a good idea. You want to make sure it's safe because some programs might already do this where they're like, "You know what? You can go play down in the JV game, but you're only playing defense." Or you can go play down to the fre- or you can play in the freshman game, but you're only playing one half and then you're going to play in the JV game. Uh, That's not the case for every school. Some schools might have a kid play the entire freshman game and then the entire JV game, or JV and then varsity, which we want to try to limit, especially with the way football is going in the direction of being you know, more cautious about how we handle things because we're learning more about the brain. We're learning more about injuries. We're learning more about, you know, head injuries and context to the sport of football. So you're trying to limit the amount of hits as possible, which I think that's a good thing because it's at the end of the day, it's about player safety and that's what we want the most. The other thing that we want to talk about though is how is this going to affect the teams that don't have as big of programs because a lot of teams in the inner city need... Their kids to play multiple levels in order to you know keep teams, and that's another safety issue. If you have them, if you have limit the amount of players you have, and then all of a sudden you got kids playing way too much at the at the lower level, and maybe you need send the guy down. Maybe you need to bring guys up, um, you know, in in terms of you know having enough depth to even have a program. Is this going to eliminate freshman football? That's another question that that a lot of people are asking. Well, it's like, I, I don't have enough guys to play freshman ball and JV football, so we're probably just going to get rid of freshman football in general. It, it's a lot of things that are going to be played out during the season that are, are going to be interesting, but that's my take on it. I think the I think playing multiple games, I like the idea of doing that. I think kids it gives kids opportunities to play more and get more reps where if they're just on the varsity team, they weren't they weren't gonna able to play as many reps as they would if they played JV and then suited up for for varsity. Uh, so from that sense, i i think um I think you should be allowed to play both um, two games of the same week, but I do think it needs to be limited. And I think this rule does a good job of of doing that. But without further ado, let's let's. Uh, When we come back, we're going to have Coach Hines on. We're going to talk about his story, how he became the head coach at Coronado, and what led him to coaching, uh, as well as we'll take his opinion on this issue. You're listening to the Inside the Huddle podcast with Braden Sopranit, a show that's by coaches with coaches for coaches in conjunction with San Diego Prep Insider. Welcome back to the Inside the Huddle podcast with Braden Soprenitz. Uh, our first guest on for today is Coronado Islanders head coach Kurt Hines. He's starting his second season as the Islanders coach. Uh, last year, not as successful as probably he wants, but um, he's had a really good uh, past at, at back on the East Coast. And let, let's dive into that. Um, you're originally from Providence, Rhode Island. Attended Barrington High School, where you started as a as a football player. Um, but it was something off the field that drove your career path. You had a summer job at a day, at a daycare center. How was that experience for you? And, and what? How did that paint? How? When did you come to realize? Hey, you know what? I want to work with kids one day.
1: Yeah, great question. So as you mentioned, I actually uh, it was a, one of our high school coaches that owns a daycare center just by my house. So I started working there and, and just had just a blast working with uh, little kids. To, you know, just seeing in their face on most things. So I knew at an early age, probably since I was a junior, maybe even sophomore in high school, that I wanted to teach. It wasn't until my uh, fourth fourth year as a teacher, that I actually uh, went to the head coach of a local high school and asked to coach on his staff. so uh, I kind of uh, had my first bite into coaching, if you will, in college when a teammate and I, after we had finished the season, we were asked by one of my professors to coach a Special needs flag football team, and that that's the first case I ever had of coaching. And we, we really wore the bad news bears of a uh, of football, so to speak. But it was uh, the simplest little flagpole of, of one of these young men or young women, or a catch or, or anything you can think of. You can picture, you know, a, a child with Down syndrome or other special needs catching a football and having just pure joy in their face. That's when I thought, man, I, I want to do this. So uh, I went to my uh, the, the high school coach where I was teaching and asked if he had any positions just to walk on. I wasn't looking for a paid position. And it just so happened that he had uh, a head head freshman coach position opened up. So that that was my first uh, full-time coaching uh, position was as a head freshman coach.
0: So, you actually answered a couple of my questions I was going to ask uh, uh, coming up here, but you know you started your coaching career as a freshman coach, and with no aspirations to coach varsity, you end up being the head coach at uh, at Bedford high School um, you got four kids of your own, no varsity experience uh, to to the, uh, my knowledge at, at that point and and you 're coaching at a brand new school, no seniors in an affluent community how challenging was this for you and, and what were, uh, what were your, what were your biggest challenges in, in, in terms of taking over, you know, a brand new school's football program?
1: Yeah, great question. So, so I, I was, uh, freshman coach for eight years at, at one high school. We had a lot of success and then I went to coach in my own town for one year and just didn't see the eye to eye. Good gentleman, the head coach. Uh, it wasn't anything based on football, but just, uh, Really didn't, didn't see eye to eye about how the young men were being treated in the program. So my wife, who was the secretary at the high school at Bedford, said, hey, the head coaching position's open. And I, I remember laughing at her and saying, "Honey, you, you know, you're my best, best friend, best support, but I'm not qualified to be a head coach. Um, as you mentioned, I, I'd been a, a freshman coach for eight years and a varsity assistant for one. And she said, well, you, you'll never know if you don't try. So I applied for the job, and, and I'm not saying to try to sound humble or, or fish for compliments, I got the job by the grace of God, but I was not the most qualified. For whatever reason, I, I guess I sold myself or my, my vision well enough. Um, but to, to your question as far as what was the most challenging thing, it was really two, two things. Um, one was we were a brand-new program. My first year as a head coach, we had no seniors, as you mentioned. Um, so we, we, I jokingly say, we set records that first year. And we did, but the record we set was a, a record you never want to set. We got our teeth kicked in more than any other school probably in the history of football. Um, and the greatest success with that was the following year we had about 20 more kids come out. Now, part of that was because we had a senior class, but when you lose every game week after week after week, and you have 20 more kids come out the following year, it it was a sign to me that we were doing the right thing that, that we were building something more than just a football team. Um, the second greatest challenge was I. the, the football team was there for, there for one year before I took the head coaching job as just a JV program. And I inherited three coaches, two of which had played Division One football at the University of New Hampshire, who had been together for four-plus years, had known each other. And here comes this new guy who uh, has no coaching head coaching experience. And we lost every game our first year. So we uh, – There there were a lot of just a lot of growing opportunities for myself to really, you know, humble myself, even though I was the head coach, to to learn from other head coaches. So I did a lot of reaching out to successful programs and coaches throughout the state in New Hampshire and just trying to pick their brains and seeing what works for them. Um, And the the long story short was we were blessed to go from two wins or zero wins my first year to two wins our second year, five wins our third year, and the last four seasons, we went to the state championship three out of those four years. In um, the final year, you know, we were eleven and zero in Division One, and uh, lost, but made to the state championship. So we, we were we were blessed, and by we I mean the young men, the families, the coaches, the community, to build a powerhouse program in a short period of time. Uh, and it's somewhere that I thought I was going to retire at until uh, you know God had different plans for us.
0: Yeah, which leads me to my next question. You know, you build Bedford up, and like I was saying, even though you you think you were not qualified, you obviously had some qualification because three state finals appearances in four years, doesn't matter what state, Coach, that's an impressive feat. You know, you're doing well at your full-time job, you know, teaching in elementary school. Life gives you a curveball, and all of a sudden you're now here in San Diego. How was that? You moved your family out here. How was that transition for you, and what adjustments did you have to make in order to make this happen?
1: Yeah, um, so you know, we I always talk to what we always talk to our players about why you know what why we show up to practice on the days we don't feel like it why we keep fighting more down 21 nothing in the fourth quarter whatever it may be. My my passion it sounds like a cliche but for me it's faith family and football and that final season we were in Division One like I said we were 11 and 0 in the state championship. Uh, we had just built a beautiful state-of-the-art weight room. I thought, man, this is this is my home. This is where I'm going to stay. Our oldest of four children who uh, came out here at San Diego State and got married, called, and said, I'm pregnant. So my heart leapt. And at the same time, I had that pit in my stomach of, oh, my gosh, I'm leaving this program. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that that was an emotional meeting with the team. Uh, and I and I, I won't sugarcoat it. There were, there were tears, and most of them were from me a lot of the you know, players and other coaches, but uh, it was hard. But we, we moved out here. Uh, several doors opened up right away. With uh, I still teach fourth grade um, at Christian Elementary School in El Cajon and love everything about that school, the community, the families. Um, was an assistant at Christian High School, uh, very small, but as, as I'm sure you know very well, a very successful program, the things they do there uh, with a with, uh, limited number of players and – the wins they are able to achieve are, you know, it's nothing short of amazing, but I just felt the urge to you on know, the pull in my heart again, to be a head coach. So I had applied to uh, three different schools and uh, got two interviews here at Coronado and uh, one another school I, I won't mention, but, um, the Coronado interview happened on a Wednesday, they called me on a Thursday, the very next day and said, we want to call your references. And then that Friday, they offered me the position. So, um, I called the other school and said, you know, I want to withdraw my name. And I appreciate the opportunity. So it, it's just a tremendous blessing to be where I am in Coronado. It has a rich history. The school's around hundred years old now, but football wise, just really having to recreate the culture where, um, you know, we, we had two returning starters last year and those were the only two young men that had been in the program for four years, which was mind blowing to me. Um, And there are five coaches that stayed on staff when I took the head coaching job here, two of which um, had applied for the head coaching job. So you can imagine, you know, me walking into our first coaches meeting, knowing that two of these gentlemen wanted to be in this position. Uh, Another humbling experience. I just shared my vision. And and I, I said to them, I remember saying, guys, in my opinion, anyone, any level, from youth all the way to the NFL, they're going to say the right thing. They're going to talk about the fundamentals of football. They're going to talk about character. Everyone's going to have their A game during the interview. But I'm a firm believer that once the proverbial crap, so to speak, part of my friends hits the fan, true colors show. You really get to find out what a coach is made of when you start losing, you have challenges. Um, so I, I said to the coaches, you know, if you're willing to stick around and, and, and buy into my vision, you know, I, I truly believe that we're going to do some great things. And to their credit, uh, the five gentlemen stayed on. And they haven't stayed on and just kind of taken the back seat. They have been a tremendous blessing to our program. Really, uh, you know, really humbles me how often they uh, step up and go above beyond the call of just what they're, quote-unquote, expected to do. So uh, I feel like we're at the beginning of something really special here at Coronado where uh, because we're recreating the culture of the team, the program, um, we have an open slate.
0: Uh, real quick, I want I want to touch on this um, before we jump into the Coronado thing again. You're, you're answering my questions before I can ask them, which is great because uh, <laughs> that means I did my research. But let's 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 dive in real quick. Talk about your experience at Christian High School as the running backs coach. You pr- produced two thousand yard rushers um, while you were there. And by the way, your quarterback Brad Jeremiah, just like th- put up crazy numbers. So being able to get 2,000-yard rushers out of kids with a quarterback that threw a ton. Um, how are you able to do that? And, and, and talk about your, experience, your two years uh, real quick at Christian High School.
1: Yeah, and the, and the, those two running backs, uh, before I got there, they couldn't tie their shoes. They didn't know how to do anything. I'm kidding.
0: No, in, <laughs> in
1: all seriousness, um, I, I, and I mean this, I, I just got chills when I said this because I, I mean this with all my heart, I can't take any credit for the success they had Um, I was blessed to coach guys who were very naturally talented and combine that with a passion and and a dedication. Those young men, um, you know, Adrian Petty and Joey Morones are just, they they can make any any coach look good. So in all seriousness, it was a blessing to coach them. And I'd like to think that I helped them both off and on the field. You know, we can always tweak. When you have a good athlete, you can always tweak certain things they do to make them more efficient and make them better um and, and helped them as people. But those two young men, uh but I, I can't take any credit for that at all. Uh it, it, it was something um being a Christian, like I said, it was uh, a, a humbling experience. You know, it, it was tough going from being a head coach in New Hampshire to then being, you know, the, the strength and conditioning coach, the running back coach and, and I was able to do some special teams there. Um but uh they they like I said the the their record speaks for themselves, um, and I hate to admit this, but it, it was unbelievable sometimes to see the programs that we would go up against, and you look at the studs and man, we would often talk about it as a coaching staff that if we were in Vegas, no one would ever bet on Christian to win a game against many of the opponents, and yet they continue to do that, so they they uh they they do some special things there, um, and you know when when the opportunity came for me to apply for the job here and to, to write them down, you know, some gentlemen as, as references, uh, it's like I say, it was a blessing to be able to go from there to, to be able to take the head coaching position here at Coronado. All
0: right. Let's, let's talk about your boys at Coronado. Cause that's, I mean, that's where you're coaching now. That's where your time and focus is. Um, before we dive completely into that, you've turned programs around in the past and it, it, you were talking about a change of culture. What is some advice that you would give a young coach that maybe trying to take over a program and change the culture, in um, terms of you know not getting discouraged if at the at the end of the at the end of the year the wins are not more than the losses.
1: Yeah, no, great question, and and, and I have to you know give credit to. I know, I know we'll talk a little bit later about a certain gentleman who uh, you said you did some research. That, that means a lot to me as a coach. But for me, the, the the one key word is the watch. You know, we 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 lost our first game last season. And, and, and it wasn't in a pretty fashion at all. We, we just got beat up. So um, and it, it, the, the other team was better than we were, but we missed tackles that we should have made. We dropped balls that we should have caught. Um, as coaches, we, we, we were out-coached. So it was all of us. But I, I remember the following Saturday, we came in here for a coaches meeting, and I told my coaches what I was going to do. But I went into the team meeting for film about an hour later. And, and this was all premeditated. But I told the guys, and said, you know what, I didn't move from New Hampshire. I'm here to friggin' lose. I'm like, I'm done. I told the administration I'm done, but I figured I owed it to you guys to let you know I'm done. And I said it with a straight face and you could see the, all the eyes and the players. Like, are you kidding me? Like he, he's just quitting, you know? And I walked out of the room and I waited for about 10 seconds. And it was just silent. No one moved. And I walked back in and I said another thing. And I was all amped up. I said, imagine that, that was true. And you could see the, the society relief, but I said, guys, here's the problem with, with not just America and I'm not getting on a soapbox, but too many people think success, is a straight line in an upward climb. I, I said, you know what? My why for leaving Bedford, New Hampshire, was one reason, family. I want to be closer to my grandson and our children. I said, my why for this take this job is so much more than just winning games. I said, guys, I'm not going anywhere. We can lose every game this year and next year, and until I get fired, because the truth is you are going to win games to, to keep your job, but in, until they get rid of me, I'm not going anywhere. And my point to them was, some of you are going to marry a beautiful young woman just because she's beautiful and then god forbid cancer accident something else she's going to lose her physical beauty and then that's why half the relationships end more or more end up in divorce you know so for me uh, to, to answer your question um, the suggestion or the, the advice i would give a young coach or even a coach that maybe's been doing it for a while but maybe finds himself questioning the joy of a winning season and, and a challenging season is really knowing your why. Because for me, if if my why is truly to empower young men, if my why is truly to have someone that is suicidal or going through stress at home or whatever real-life challenges they're facing, if my why is to be that person that can listen to them and help them get through that, then the wins and losses really won't phase me that much, no matter whether we're on top or we're, you know, last year, three and seven. Um... It, the, the why is really what I think drives 99% of what most of us do in life, that, that, that reason that we do everything, why we get up in the morning, why we are faithful to our loved ones, why we, you know, do everything.
0: Let's talk real quick about 2018 season Coronado Islanders. Give us, start, start giving some shout-outs to some kids that you think are going to be an impact for Coronado um, in order for them to be successful this year.
1: Absolutely. I'll, I'll start at the top. I'm, I'm in our coach's office right now. And I'm looking at the, uh, the board, Bryce Alexander was our quarterback last year. Uh, and I always say by default, we, we had a, a young man who, when I took the head coaching job, several coaches throughout San Diego said, man, you got this Briley quarterback kid to keep a stud. And I was all excited. Two and a half weeks later, I come into the office and find out that he moved up to Oregon for, uh, for baseball or something. So Bryce, Bryce was the next man up and Bryce, was a captain as a junior, um, one of the hardest hitters, but, man, we have to put him in safety often because he, he, even though he wanted to be a Mike Backer, he was our starting quarterback. Um, Bryce is, is someone that we're looking heavily upon this year as a leader, both off and on the field, and he's now in the position that he was born for. He's a wide receiver for us, and will also probably be the starting Mike Backer. Um, but we have a, a competition at quarterback right now between uh, Ash Bibbs, an upcoming sophomore, um, and then two other young men, uh, Coulter Maldonado, who just moved uh, back to Coronado. He was here in uh, middle school, and then Louie, who uh, is a senior from Virginia. So we, we've got a competition at quarterback now, which, which is a healthy thing. I always tell our guys, competition breeds success. So with Bryce Alexander at the wide receiver position, we've got him there, we've got James Whithoff. Returning, he was a starter, starter last year as a sophomore at wide receiver. He's starting. Um, and then we, we've got guys like uh, Teddy Hendrickson, who's, who's a kind of an undersized linebacker, slate, safety hybrid, but just has a great nose for the ball, likes to hit. Um, you know, one of the big question marks for us uh, at, at the line positions, we're going to be real young. But what, what I do love about that is we've got a bunch of young linemen who are hungry you know they, they they pay their dues at jv and they've been working really hard in the off season so i think skill wise we're going to be a lot better than last year um the big question mark you need guys up front but without a doubt that's where it all starts but uh is is the line but i i'm excited about this season you know i'm an optimist to the core and some friends of mine would say to a fault but uh it hasn't failed me yet so uh i, I we're, we're going to be up for a lot of good battles this year
0: I can't wait to get uh, to check out Coronado Islander football open up with Maranatha on August 17th coach. Before I uh, let you go, what does inside out coaching uh, by Joe Ehrman mean to you? Uh,
1: It's completely changed the way I coached. Uh, And anyone listening, if you haven't read the book inside out coaching, um, I highly suggest I read it three times now and I'm still not sure if that's because I love it so much. I'm just a slow learner, but, uh, Really, Joe Ehrman breaks down all coaches, and I'm talking any sport, any level. He breaks them down to two categories, and that's transformational and transactional. You know, and, and the easiest way that he explains it, so I've got to give credit to him, is a transactional coach will, will pour into the young men that can benefit their agenda. They'll pour into the studs. They'll pour into the kids that can make them look good. Whereas a transformational coach will work with that little Timmy or whoever you want to call him that can't put their helmets on straight. I probably are never going to see the varsity field as a starter at least, but they show up to everything and they give their best effort. Um, for me, you know, I'd I, I like to think that I've always been a transformational coach, uh, but reading that book inside out coaching has really helped me more and more to focus on not just being there for all my players, um, but really and not just saying, Hey, it's more than just football, but pouring into their lives so that they understand that their value doesn't increase or decrease whether or not they're a starter or not. You know, my love for them doesn't change whether or not they're injured or eligible, whether they're academically, they're thriving or struggling Um, to really help our young men to, to see that this game is a platform as competitive, competitive as most of us are. I love the violence of the game. I love the chess match of the game. I love everything about it. But for me, it's a platform to transform lives. So, uh, great question but yeah i i love that book and uh it's, it's just a tremendous resource
0: all right coach thank you very much uh coach Hines today joining us on the program coronado islanders head coach starting his second season they open up with maranatha uh you know as i say goodbye i heard you're an artist where can we uh, where can we get some of your art and uh, i guess you've won awards as as an artist <laughs> well
1: that's back in new hampshire so that tells you how uh how messed up they are there and i'm just uh I'm just kidding. i I've painted murals for years, so uh, I've always enjoyed it, you know, and, and for the people that uh, might follow me on, on whether it's Twitter or Instagram or, or Facebook, I've got my stuff open and it's all on there, but I, I, I love, you know, I hate to say this such a typical football coach, but I teach fourth grade. I paint murals and uh, I may not fit that mold of a, a stereotypical football coach, but I think it helps our young men to see that you can be a well-rounded individual at the same time. Want to, you know, Rip someone's head off, metaphorically, or you know, so to speak, in, in football, but but still, uh, be well-rounded.
0: Uh Coach Hines, a man of, a man of many talents. He's going to paint murals yeah. and and win some ball games for Coronado. Uh, thanks again, Coach.
1: Hey, I appreciate all you guys do.
0: We will get Coach Hines' opinion on the new CIF rule and his opinion on playing multiple games in the same week later on in the podcast when we do our town hall um, with our other coaches. That being said. When we come back, Ron Gladnick, head coach at Torrey Pines High School, joins us next on Inside the Huddle with Braden Sopranit. Welcome back to Inside the Huddle with Braden Sopranit. Uh My next coach that joins us today is Ron Gladnick of Torrey Pines, the head coach at Torrey Pines. He's entering his fifth season now. Uh, coach, thanks for uh, joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Uh, it's, it's, it's great to you know, talk to uh, you know, one of my all-time rival, Tory Pines uh, Falcons, especially the head coach. But let's, let's, let's dive into um, you know, your background and, and, and how you got into football. So you played high school football, and you were fortunate enough to play in college, where you won multiple MVP awards, defensive MVP. You are elected the captain. Um, at what point during your playing career, or maybe just out of your playing career, did you go, you know what, I want to get into coaching?
2: I think, you know, the game imprints people uh, different ways. And, and for me, you know, I've always found the game to be, a, you know, a great example for life and the challenges that you know, we as individuals face in life. So, you know, the opportunity came for me to coach at the high school level first in Ohio and then back at my alma mater. And you know, I just gravitated towards that as, as a, a career path for me in my you know, early 20s
0: you were able to be a part of a state championship winning team at Brexville High School. Um, how was that experience for you, um, being on a team and coaching a team that ended up winning a, a state championship?
2: Well, we were, it was uh, Brecksville's a public school about halfway between Cleveland and Canton, Ohio. Uh, we had just an exceptional group of kids. Uh, Tom Tupa was our quarterback. He ended up punting in the NFL for about 22 years. He started a quarterback at Ohio State uh just a, an incredible group of kids and you know we were fortunate enough our season ended up in you know we played in the shoe at buckeye stadium in front of you know i think it was about 56,000 people so it was it was one of those experiences as a young coach that you know you know you never forget
0: you know, real quick, because you got to coach in the shoe with 50,000 people sitting there. How, te- explain to us how that was as a coach, you know, because there's so many coaches here listening that have probably never had anything close to that experience before.
2: Well, you, you know, it felt like a college game. You know, it felt like, you know, in terms of electricity and atmosphere, you know, it doesn't get much better in high school. And, you know, we, like I said, we had a great group of kids. It was a hard-fought game you know, we were just fortunate enough
0: to come out on top. You ended up, so you won the state title. Like I said, you went back to your alma mater, you know, you coached defensive line there for seven years. How was that, you know, how was it going back to your alma mater where it all began, you know, to, to, to give back to your local community?
2: Well, I, you know, uh, it's a special place. Uh, it's the winningest division two football program in the country. Um, it, I love the philosophy of football because it's a school that plays against many teams that are much more athletically gifted. Um, But yet because of the system and the discipline and the hard work, you know, we were able to overcome athleticism in many instances by how we played, which is a great comparison, you know, for the situation we have here at Torrey Pines high school. So it was great preparation, you know, for what we're actually trying to accomplish today here at, Tory Pines.
0: How did you end up at Tory Pines? Because you're talking about you know coaching out there in Ohio. You ended up being the D-line coach in 2008 at Tory Pines. When you came out here, how did you get out here? And then, what did you know? Did you know anything about Tory Pines or San Diego high school football before you came out here?
2: I, I actually didn't know anything. And I, uh, when I came out here, what led me to move to San Diego is I came out for the American Football Coaches Association meeting in. I don't know. It must've been about 1987 or eight. And I went back to Michigan. I was a young guy, didn't have a family. Uh, I think when I got back to Michigan, it didn't get above zero for about 10 days. And I said, I'm moving to San Diego at that point. You know, I wasn't making a lot of money coaching and I came out to San Diego with two suitcases, no job. And, you know, I was able to get a job, not in coaching. Uh, And then I was blessed to have an opportunity to start my own business and, you know, over a 25 year period, it grew into a pretty large company here in San Diego. We had over a thousand employees and in 2006 or seven, I looked at my management team and I said, you guys are doing such a great job. You're so brilliant. I'm going to go coach high school football. And I was fortunate enough to get hired here at Torrey Pines as an assistant coach. And that's how I got back into coaching again after 20 plus years.
0: What, what type of experiences did you learn, you know, from starting your own business and just, you know, basically going, you know what, I'm just going to move across country with two suitcases and try to try to make things happen. What experiences did you learn from that that you have now applied as a coach in high school football?
2: Well, it's really interesting because it, it's really the other way around. Um, everything I did and accomplished in business, I learned playing football, how you treat people. Um, how you rely on someone else, how you build a group of people up—all of the things that allowed me to build a successful company—I actually learned by coaching and playing football. So for me, you know, I, I feel I owe a huge debt to the game, and I feel like when I, you know, was given the opportunity to be assistant coach in high school and then move on to be a head coach, you know, for me at this stage of my life, it's. You know, my opportunity to give back in a way that I know impacted my life in a huge way, and to be able to impact kids in a positive way, you know, just means the world to me at this stage of my life.
0: What drove you to be a head coach after being an assistant um, for so many years at Torrey Pines, and why ultimately did you uh, did you end up uh, taking the job at Claremont?
2: Well, I knew um, our head coach at the time, Scott Ashby, had expressed that. know it won't be that many more years until he steps down and I knew that uh, I would never be hired as the head coach at Torrey Pines unless I was a head coach and you know the opportunity came very late it was almost June when I got hired for the Claremont job and Claremont ended up being one of the best experiences you could have as a young head coach because you have to do everything you know and I was blessed my defensive coordinator here at Tory came with me and you know, we were able to turn I think they were eight and thirty-two before we got there and we were pretty close to five hundred and won the first playoff game down there in a lot of years. And you know, it was really gratifying to be able to build something and leave it in a good state, you know, when I was fortunate enough to get the Tory job.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that they won their. You guys won their first playoff game in in ten years. A quick turnaround. How are you able to turn things around so quickly um, at that high school?
2: Well, I think you know we do a good job. You know, whether it was at Claremont or here at Torrey, we you know we have a basic foundational set of values that you know we believe is the foundation for building a football team and you know, so much of we, what we do early in the process has nothing to do with football. It it has everything to do with instilling discipline and, you know, core toughness in a group of kids and in an age where, you know, core toughness isn't a given anymore. And, you know, by focusing on those types of things, you know, being a very, very well conditioned football team, you know, allowed us to then put in our system Which again, we feel gives us a great advantage, uh, especially as more and more teams embrace the spread and that type of thing.
0: Let's talk about you know embracing the spread and how you guys in particular have decided to stick with the wing tees, You know an offense you guys have run for a long time now. It's you guys, it's Cathedral, it's it's Olympian, or like the three that come to the top of my head. But. Go ahead, t- talk to us about the wing tee and, and, and why is it so successful, because all these teams are going to spread, yet it seems to be you guys and the school down the street that seem to be the mo- consistently good every year with running the wing tee.
2: Well, I think it's a system-driven offense,
0: and it's a great equalizing offense. So,
2: and you have to wrap the offense around a core defensive philosophy. So defensively, we work very hard to not give up big plays. So the, the reality is in every football game, we take a lot of time to score and we make you take a lot of time to score, thus shortening the game. It, the offense, because you're not combo blocking or man blocking, but it's a lot of angle blocking, allows you it allows us to play physically larger teams and be successful by having great technique, being well-conditioned and being as, you know, what we call football strong. We're not going to be the biggest squatter, the biggest deadlifter, you know, our whole strength and conditioning program is gated towards building athletic football players who can move. And, you know, as a result of being true to who we are, you know, we've been able to make consistent progress in the first four years I've been here, you know, where, you know, thankfully we're back to a place where where we're in the conversation, you know, as one of the better teams in the county again.
0: That has to do a lot with the way you guys played last year. I mean with the exception of Helix beating Mission Hills, Mission Hills was one of the top teams last year, and you guys gave them probably their best game every time and, and were on the verge of winning a couple times um, you know, late in the game. What can you say about how your kids did last year that's going to help them this year?
2: Well, I think we were uh, a relatively young football team last year. Um, I think our kids gave us great uh, game work ethic. I think that... Uh, We grew a lot as a football team, you know, throughout the course of the season. Um, And it really, we were disappointed in the outcome. You know, we felt like just as much as Mission Hills won those games, we could have won those games. The reality is Mission Hills made one more play than us. And, you know, you got to tip your hat to them for doing that. Um, But I I do believe it has instilled a desire in our kids as we move forward. To this season to take that next step and you know our kids have worked incredibly hard to be in a position to compete and you know when the dust settles and the smoke clears our job is to put our kids in a position to win football games and they know on friday night it's their job to execute and you know we're really excited for the season we've got a great group of kids and it's here man you know it's monday's full go and it's not that long until we're playing our first game
0: yeah, it's, it's, it's coming faster than you think, especially with the, the season starting so early. Um, before we talk about, you know, players you got coming back this year that are going to be impact players for you, let's talk about the coaching staff because you guys got a good, great staff. Anytime you play a team twice and you do even better the second time, it has to do with your coaching staff. Um, you played LCC early in the year. It didn't go your way. You come back in the playoffs and put up a 40 spot and shut them out. How, how, what can you say about the great coaching staff that you have?
2: Well, one of the things I'm, you know, I'm blessed and humbled, uh, you know, we've put together from freshman of varsity, 22 men who are completely and totally committed 12 months of the year to developing our players as young men and football players. And, you know, I I'm challenged every day by great football guys who are completely and totally focused on, being successful within our system and it's it's a lot of fun to be around you know i we have very low turnover in five, my five years we've replaced three coaches and that's freshman jv and varsity so the guys stay they're the best kind of people you could have around kids and you know hopefully our parents are as happy as we are because you know we see a lot of kids developing as young men in our program you know and that makes me more proud of the wins and the losses and you know anything else you could do you know when you help develop kids who are going to be good employees good college kids good fathers you know those are the kinds of things that
0: really matter over time i think all of those coaches can agree with with that statement you just said that being said let's talk about some of these kids you got a lot of you got a lot of good pieces coming back your offensive line is going to be strong a returning quarterback go ahead start start letting us know about some kids that are going to be impact players for tory pines in 2018
2: well, we have, you know, the heart of our offense in, in uh, Jason Hine and Mac Bingham back. Uh, Luke Michael is a young man that has a slot running back and corner um, has really elevated to a point where we expect huge things out of him. And this is my first year that we're able to two-platoon our line. So right now we have no linemen starting both ways. So, the, you know, I think the heart and soul of this football team is we are big – strong and physical on both sides of the ball in terms of our alignment brian driscoll's a cal commit you know brian played as a junior at 6'4 250 he's 6'5 290 now payson campazano was 6'3 225 he's 6'4 260 moab Waden is a second year player who moved here from egypt last year he's uh 6'4 300 pounds uh we're, we're a very large football team and and we're also a large football team that's relatively athletic. You know, we don't have a lot of pillowy guys. You know, our guys can move and run, and and we're pretty excited to see what they're going to do.
0: I mean, I, I think every coach listening right now is just so jealous that you have a completely different line both ways, that so you don't have to play both ways, because you guys are going to be able to wear some people out. And And, and that brings me to my last question. You got a tough schedule. I mean, any time you got to play in the avocado league, it's it's brutal. But you know, you didn't do your team any favors in terms of, you know, competition. You're gonna, it's gonna pay off in the long run. But you open up with East Lake at East Lake, that's gonna be a tough game. You got San Clemente on the schedule. You know, you're a favorite to to, to compete and win the open division title, if not win the avocado league. A lot of kids coming back. How do you get your kids ready week by week? To, to, to block out the noise about, you know, who they're playing, about how good they are, and, and getting them on the task at hand to win a game each and every week?
2: Well, I, I think it starts out we have really high-character kids.
0: So, you know,
2: we're blessed that we start out with really good kids. And, you know, we work, you know, I, I tell our players all the time, we are a humble, hard-work ethic football program. We're not a star-driven program. We're not a me program. We're a we program, and you know our kids have been in our system now this is all they know so we as a coaching staff, our senior council of players, you know to the last player in the program, everybody here knows the only game that matters is Eastlake and when when that game is done it'll be the next game that matters you know we you know I don't you know polls are out there and people are going to say things and you no, know, I think we try to do a good job of keeping our kids grounded to know that the only thing that matters is the next thing in front of them, and that's where we keep our focus. We know we're going to go down you know, to Chula Vista and play a really, really good Eastlake team with Coach McFadden back, and you know, a lot of people say they have the biggest, strongest line in the county. You know, our, I, I know our kids are excited about that challenge, as I'm sure their kids are going to be excited about that challenge. You know, we have great respect for them. And, you know, in terms of scheduling, uh, I always tell my peers in North County, you know, that we, we couldn't get some of the teams in the North County out of our league to play us this year. You know, and my whole thing is if I have a choice to schedule down or schedule equally or a little up, I'd rather schedule equally or a little up because I think in the long run it makes you a better football team. And kids know the difference between games that matter and games that, you know, you should come out with a win. And, and we want our kids to be challenged so that when we get in the Avocado League, you know, that challenge doesn't seem as large because you've already faced similar challenges.
0: I totally agree. Because in our that.
2: league, it's, like, it's six playoff games. You know, we, when we play El Camino and run those six games in a row, in our conference, every week is a playoff game. You know, I think five of the top 10 in the county are in our league. You know, so like I was telling her, you can't play bad on Friday night in the avocado and win. You know, it's you can't. The coaching staffs are good, too good. The players are too good. You know, we have a ton of respect for everybody in our in our conference, because if you don't, they'll beat you.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't matter who they are. They could be having a bad year. You guys all play each other all the time. You know each other. And and that's what makes a great league is having a bunch of teams that can all play as well as great coaching staffs. And and, and just, you know, any week you can drop. It's kind of like, you know, the NFL where everything's pretty much evenly matched. Um, Coach, thanks again for your time. And uh, I look forward to uh, that first game against Eastlake.
2: Well, thank you for having me. And you guys are doing a great job covering San Diego football. We appreciate it.
0: Thanks again to Coach Gladnick of Torrey Pines High School for joining us today. He's gonna to have a pretty, he's gonna have a really good team up there in North County. Uh, look to look to Tor- look for Torrey Pines to win the Avocado League and and probably get into the open playoff. It's gonna to be tough with the schedule that they have, but they got the pieces to do it. And anytime you have an entirely offensive line and defensive line and nobody playing both ways, it's gonna work out in your favor. We'll talk to Gladnick in a little bit, but first. Let's talk to Ron Berner Sr., head coach of El Capitan, talk about his memorable state run in 2014, coaching Ryan Lindley, and talking about how he's going to get the Vaqueros back to where they were um, this year in 2018. You're listening to Inside the Huddle with Braden Soprinit, the San Diego Prep Insider. Our last guest uh, on the podcast today, inside the huddle with Brandon Brennan, is Ron Burner, senior head coach at El Capitan High School out in Lakeside. It's, he's entering his 14th season as the head football coach. Uh, coach Burner, how are you doing today?
3: I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Uh,
0: let, let, let's talk about it. You know, you're entering your 14th season. You, you can't have uh, a tenure like that. At, you know, at any school unless you have um, unless you are successful. Successful head coaches have great staffs. And and like I've read in an article, you like having L cap guys as part of your staff. Talk to us about the staff you have and what it means to be an L cap guy.
3: Uh, my staff is tremendous. Um, there are quite a few of uh, my ex players are on staff. Um, I've got a couple uh, ex NFL guys on my staff, so we've got a nice mix. But um, you know, being successful. I mean, obviously, a lot of people think about being successful is, you know, you, you win every year and you got state titles and all that. And that's awesome. I mean, obviously, I'd, I'd be lying if I said uh, that wasn't, you know, a part of being successful. But, uh, you know, I like to believe we have a successful program because we turn out great young men. And I believe as, as a staff, we teach uh, some pretty high standards, you know, how not only how we act on the foot on and off on the football field but how we act off the field and um, coaching staff wise um, we lost one of our coaches this year Ryan Lindley he's up at uh, San Diego State which is awesome for him I you know but he he came back um, when he finished his career and was our quarterback coach uh, my defensive coordinator and assistant head coach Antoine Applewhite former charger and you know, I've just got a great staff. I got Howard Coy uh, has been on my staff. Chris Talkstein has been on my staff for uh, 15 years. Um, you know, I had my son coaching with me. Uh, a Couple, you know, my son-in-law. And my, and, you know, I mean, I've got a lot of lot of people out there and some, some El Cap people. Like you know, Chris and, and Howard have been at El Cap for 20 years, even longer than I was. Uh, Chris graduated there and. Um, you know, on my, my lower levels, I've got some ex-players, have come back to help out, and, and I think that, that always says a lot for, for coaching staff, and I see it around the county, that, you know, when you're, when your ex-players come back to coach with you, to me, that says a lot, to me, that, that says that, you know, they love being a part of your program, and want to continue what you're teaching, and uh, I think we have that, you know, um, we got to uh, Josh Murphy, who was a star for us and graduated in, uh, uh 12 is, has just now come back and he's going to help coach wide receivers. And we just, uh, picked up former charger and Philadelphia Eagle Eagle, uh, uh, Ryan Matthews is our running back coach. So we have an awesome mix. You know, the, the, the scary thing is I look around and I was like, you know, same age as everybody. And I'm looking out, going, man, I'm the, I'm a freaking grandpa here, you know, but it's, it's fun having that because I mean, they're all young. They're, they're 30s and late 20s, you know, and I'm his old dude, but you know what? I, they keep me young and I love having them around and, and uh, you know, their enthusiasm for this game is something that I like, but I hope they can keep carrying on.
0: Oh, you, you brought up, you know, having guys come back and, and coach for you. And, you know, you're saying a lot of the parts of the county do as well. You know, me personally, I was a player at Cathedral Catholic. I went back to coach. Most of their staff is all alumni. Um, it's just better to have, you know, homegrown guys uh, as part of your staff. But, you know, you've been there long enough. You're talking about being the, the grandpa of the staff. So you have some tenure as well. Um, you had some pretty memorable seasons at LCAP, Cap, 2006 you had Ryan Lindley at quarterback. You were number one in the county for for um for a period of time there. Um, you had so that was a great season. You beat Helix in 2014 to end that season, and then you go on a, a state playoff run for El Cap, which which was incredible too. Over your time as the head head coach of the El Cap Vaqueros, what was your most memorable experience? You know,
3: people, people may laugh at it. You know, obviously in 2006. We, we went to when we played uh, Saints and Jerry Ralph, That was an unbelievable game, but I think you know, the most memorable game is Helix. And I, and I, a lot of people would say, well, why wasn't it Rancho Bernardo for, you know, for the school's first championship and why wasn't the state championship? Those are all unbelievable games and great moments, but you know, when a small school like us I and mean, a little old L cap. And, you know played played helix everybody you know from all over the place kept on saying oh it's too bad you guys got moved into the you know the hills league you know you could have had a nice run you got to play helix and you know I, rather than complaining with everybody and go oh yeah we got screwed i just said you know what it's it's not something in our control you know we don't control us we got to go play and, and and it was a heck of a game I mean, they went up 14 nothing and just the electricity out there was like a state championship. Both sides were packed. The end zones were packed. You know, every El Cap alum that I remember going back, you know, in the very beginning and, and Helix alum, and it was just packed, and it was just an energy. It was like a state playoff game. And and I think the reason it probably was, in my mind, the you know most memorable game that of all the games we've had, and and we've had some barn burners there. You know, our offense and all that was that one because nobody in the county outside of el cap thought we had a chance of beating helix and we beat them you know and, and it was a hard fought game against a fantastic uh, bunch of kids you know at, at helix and a great coaching staff it just showed the kind of heart that that our our team that was uh, uh was going that night so that's you know that was the high i would say I mean, obviously right after I mean, come on we get when the school's first say of championship was unbelievable. And that was another euphoric moment, you know, and it was cool.
0: I, anytime you beat Helix, I don't care who you are. It's it's going to be a great experience. But Absolutely. I was one of those people that doubted you. I was like, oh, wow, El Cap's 9-0. and we'll, we'll see how they do against Helix. <laughs> you go out and you beat, you beat Helix um, for a small school like you guys have and for as good as Helix is. Um, that was an incredible accomplishment. You produced an NFL quarterback. I mean, Ryan Lindley, I know he didn't play like a long NFL career, but he got to play in the NFL. How was it coaching him in high school? And how was it, you know, after he left, you know, watching him on TV play?
3: Ryan was obviously my first quarterback and I had the pleasure and, and I was lucky enough to, I was his freshman coach and his JV coach. And then that's when he was became a junior. That's when I took over the program. Uh, when, uh, Joey uh, decided to become a vice principal. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't even realize it, but Ryan had never played football. And when I started recruiting him for a quarterback, he was a baseball player. And he said, let me see how you throw. And he's tall and, you know, he had not grown into his body. And, and he's probably the hardest working player that I, I've had. I've got a lot of unbelievable players that have come through. It just, he was just had that relentless drive get better and better, and you know, the guy's got numerous LCAP records, you know, as a quarterback, but, and some of them have been broken, because I've had some fantastic quarterbacks come right behind him, uh, you know, Tanner Russ went on to play at uh, New Mexico, and he broke a lot of uh, Ryan's records, and then, of course, Brad Cagle, you know, our state, our state team, and, uh, but the awesome thing was, you know, watching Ryan, he got signed at San Diego State, uh, along with Tommy Dreheim, our center, and uh, you know Ryan Brooks, garnered every passing record at San Diego State, and just you know we all had season tickets. We went to every game and watched those guys. You know, like we did some of, of our other players that went there. And you know, when when he signed and and uh, went the NFL was like you know kind of like a proud papa moment. You know, and Tommy, same thing. You know, when Tommy signed with the Packers. They both went out the same year, and. You know, I was like, like a proud dad. You know, it was, it was so exciting to watch. And, yeah, you know, did, did he get deep into the NFL? No, he didn't. But you know what? How many people even make it to the NFL? You know, and it's, you know, so he comes back and coaches. And, and he, it was a big learning experience for him because, you know, you're coming back, A, you're at San Diego State for five years. Then you go in the NFL for three or four. And you come get back to El Cap, well, the talent's not the same. You know, and so some of the plays he was trying to put in with me, you just, you know, we don't run 4-4 four four and four fives. We're four sevens and four eights, you know. But it was, uh, it was awesome having to come back.
0: So you, you, you know, you 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 just said the difference in talent from Lindley's days to now, or you know, over the years. You know, you've had, you know, you've been at the top and you've been at the bottom, but it's all about resiliency and being able to overcome, you know, you know, down years, what is the biggest advice you can give a coach when it comes to, you know, you just got to get through some of these down years. Cause you know, if you keep working hard, you're going to be able to have, you know, a state championship run like we did, or you no, know, it'll be number one in the County one year.
3: You know, you just got to stay the course and you have to adjust because the things that I did in 2005, six and seven, you can't do them anymore. Defenses, you know coaches are are getting better players are getting better and quicker so a lot of the stuff you, you you have to adapt and you have to adapt to the talent you have you know we're not you know for the most part 99% of the players on my team are lakeside kids you know and those are cycles you know it depends on uh, what cycles coming through and, and you have to ride it out like i mean like you know we've had some down years you know or some three and four win seasons you know 2013, we go, uh, 12 and two, 2014, we go 14 and one to 2015. We, we, we go one and one and nine or one and 10, you know, on, on the field and, you know, talk about going from the, you know, top of the mountain back down to the bottom, but, you know, maybe even digging yourself a hole and, and that was a uh, soul searcher, you know, but we graduated 29 seniors, you know, it's so that whole team left. We're not a school that just has that whole talent come keep coming back through, and you know, so we've had a you know, and we and my whole time there, the, the worst injury up until 2016 was Ryan as a junior sprained his ankle in his last game against Gross Grossmont and missed a game. Up until then, I never had a quarterback miss a minute. Right in mm-hmm. 2016, my quarterback broke his leg in game three, my senior quarterback, right? And it changed the dynamics of our whole season. Not, I'm not going to say that caused us to lose, but we're not, we're not a big enough school to have two unbelievable quarterbacks. Does that make sense? And, yeah. you know, last year my, my quarterback uh, broke his collarbone, you know, and so it just changes the dynamics and you have to try to adapt. So, uh, you know, but you got to stay the course. You can't start changing your rules and letting kids, you know, well, hey, I, we need to win here, so we're going to break our rule and let that guy who, you know, should not be playing this, we come back and play because we need him. And and you got to stay the course, and you got to believe in what you're doing, you know. And and you got to get your players to believe in in what you do. And, and I and I really feel deep in my heart, my coaches are that way, um, and my players are that way. You know, I, they trust what I tell them. You, you know, do they like having a four-win season? Absolutely not. It, drives me nuts and it kind of drives me to work harder. I think I've worked harder this last offseason than I have in the last three or four years just for that reason that you, know, you, want, to, you want to right the ship and, and ultimately whose responsibility is it? It's mine.
0: What do you guys have to do in order to become not necessarily a state championship team again, but what do you guys have to do this season you know, to you know, not necessarily put yourself back on the map, but get back to where El Cap football was a couple years ago?
3: You know, remember one thing: we gotta stay healthy. You know, um, we gotta protect our quarterback. We got, and we have to execute. You know, we're we're not a huge a huge team. You know, we're gonna have 35 to 37 varsity players, and so we've got to protect them, and we and we've got to play some mistake-free football, which didn't happen the last couple of years. You know, we you go back and watch film, and, and start looking at just miss maybe missed one little block or you know, a one step somewhere and the difference of, of losing that game was you win by two touchdowns rather than lose by six. And, and so we're, we really focus this offseason on studying and really getting all the players to understand what we're trying to accomplish and why we're doing things. And uh, I think that's going to be the key. I mean, you know, I was looking yesterday. I, I think uh, Chris, you know, top dog put out his top 10 and we played three, three of the top 10. In, in our schedule, you know, Helix, Madison, and Steel Canyon. I mean, that's that's on my schedule. You know, there's there's no easy schedule for us. You know, and everybody we play is tough. So it's, I think Ron Gladding uh, is the one that said it in, in their league. You know, you you stub you know you stub your toe or have a bad game, you're done. You know, there, there's no there's no margin for error, and it's the same way in our league and and, and in my schedule.
0: Let's let's talk about um, you know. We'll get into your league in just a second, but let's let's talk about this 2018 LCap team. Um, there is a little bit of buzz, kind of under the radar, in in terms of the media when it comes to LCap. There there are a lot of team. You guys are a lot of team sleeper team because it, you kind of you battled last year, and a lot of your games were pretty close. You got a nice, you know, people saw your talent over in passing league and they think you got some good players. What can you say? Who are are some of the guys that are going to be impact players for the Vaqueros this season? You know,
3: flying under the radar, you know, I don't always like that term. We just compete and and teach our you know, talk to our guys about just competing. You know, uh, we have a little slogan, you know, effort uh, enhances, uh, effort magnifies talent. And it does, you know, give your maximum effort in it. That'll get everything out of your talent. And that's what we're preaching to our guys is, you know, eating right to stay healthy and, uh, you know, being focused and doing the right thing and keeping your grades up. You know, the biggest thing that I, I preach is grades. You know, you're a, you're a student athlete. There's a reason student comes first, you know, as much as I'd like my whole team to go play college football, the odds that really aren't. And, you know, the, my standout guys, it's the whole team, but I'm telling you right now, the hardest working guys on my team, my offensive linemen, bar none. And you can ask anybody around, um, Alex, they work, they work out for uh, Alex Johnson on their own, uh, three times a week. And the cool thing is, is that of the five, you know, there's five the nucleus of five. There's a couple more, um, that play D line also, but you know, just my, our whole group of linemen, D line mm-hmm. and O line, um, but in my old line, we had every starter. Every starter is back from last year, and they were young. We had a freshman starter and three sophomores, and that's going to be the nucleus of our team. I've got some really good talent around it, you know. Um, uh, but that that's that's going to be our key, and and that's what I think is going to really get us going. Um, as far as my best players, and the, you know, uh Yafet Yokley has worked hard, and he's a captain. He'll play both sides of the ball. He's a Great athlete, Wick Hauser is my quarterback. Uh, Hefty Rios is, is a, a senior, been a three-year starter at a corner. He's a, a game changer. Um, Donnie Green, running back. I mean, we've got you know Rudy Medina. There, there's some really good guys in there. Uh, Andrew Delia, my nose tackle is going to really surprise me. If he's a three-year starter and has worked his tail off. And uh, I, I'm excited to see what we're going to do.
0: I'm excited to see what you guys are going to do, too, and it doesn't get easy with, with, with your schedule. Uh, let's talk real quick about the Grossmont League. You know, people talk about on social media how great the Avocado League and the Western League, but nobody really, you know, brings up the Grossmont League too much, and, and they should because, you know, Helix and Steel Canyon last year went to a state title game. Uh, Granite Hills uh, went 10-3 and last season. You know Grossmont's going to score a lot of points. So what can you say about this Grossmont League and what makes it so difficult? You know,
3: everybody has their thing, you know, um, you know. there's North County football, and you're from North County, and then there's city football, and, and there's, you know, the inner city football, and there's South, you know, and then there's East County, you know, I mean, we all have our little, you know, we're proud of our area and all that stuff, but, you know, uh, East County football's got some tough football, you know, and I'm not saying it's the toughest conference because, you know, there's, there's uh, arguments for everybody, you know, there's a lot of good, lot of great teams out there, you know that that you know. Um, but the girls' small conference, you know, Helix. I mean, Helix is Helix, you know, and and not to put anybody else down because I, I don't do that. Every school, you know, Oceanside up has history, and Morrison has history, you know, going back in the day, and horse Lincoln, and you know East Lake and Madison. You know, I mean, you keep naming them off, but you look at the girls' conference, and it, it's Helix, and Helix goes back, you know before time, you know, kind of joking, but that, you know, they, they just have winners there and, and that's their, their tradition. And the people have come out of that school and, you know, and we, like you said, steel Canyon, steel Canyon has been a sleeper for a while for a lot of people, but that's one of the best coach programs in the County. And, and, and every time you play them, you're in a ball game, even if you doesn't have the best going, they, they compete. And, and, you know, Granite Hills, uh, I don't, I don't know what to say about Grand Hills, but they just keep on winning, you know, and they fly under the radar, and they're just missing, and, you know, Grossmont's got a great program, you know, not, not taking anything away from, you know, Santana's got some great play. I mean, kind of everyone in of West Hills, you, know, you look around, it's a tough conference, and, I, and not saying anything from anybody else, we always feel in East County, we have the best football. That's because we're East County.
0: so <laughs> Exactly. I, I you know, I know I mean, that all I, too well. Um, you know, my dad being a Grossmont alum and he's coaching the East County, he said, you know, we might not beat you every time, but we're going to wear you down and we're going to hit you harder than anybody else. So, you know, speaking of East, I, the, one of the most memorable games I've ever experienced on a sideline was when my dad was coaching at Grossmont against your L Cap Vaqueros and back in 2007. Uh, Grossmont ended up winning thirty-four, thirty-one. But I watched some kids just lay the wood so many times that game. In fact, I watched a Grossmont kid break his chin strap in half. He hit a kid so hard. So that's just—it's just different football in different parts of the region. And when it comes to East County football, it's—it's it's pretty much smash mouth. We're—we're—we're uh, we're, we're not gonna—we're not gonna play around too much. It, it
3: is. I mean, you know, everybody has their flavor and everything. But you know, a lot—a lot of the stuff that we talked about and—and. And, it's not just El Cap, it's, it's East County that, you know, there's not, not a lot of just finesse stuff and all that. It's, it's smash-mouth football. You know, I mean, the other sleeper that people are kind of talking about he came out last year and Monta Vista. You know, Monta Vista is, is going to be a little machine this year, and I don't know, it's, it's going to be interesting. There's a lot of good football in San Diego, a lot of great football in San
0: Diego. That's That's the perfect way to end this conversation because as as much as everyone's neighborhood wants to talk about how great the neighborhood is. San Diego high school football has grown and they're, it's starting to get bigger and they're starting to, we're, we're starting to be able to compete with people outside the County now, which in years past, we haven't necessarily been able to do. Um, and we're excited for that. I'm excited for El Cap coach. I, I think you guys are going to be uh, pretty good this year. Um, you got a tough schedule, but uh, you know, you start with Christian on August 17th, it's going to be a good game coach. Thanks for joining me today and, and good luck this season. All right, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to coach burner for joining us today. So now, uh, I got all three of the coaches on with me right now. Let's get into the topic of discussion: playing multiple games in a week. Is it good for the kids? Um, do you like the new CIF rules? You know what? What is your opinion on it? Um, either the rules or what you want to talk about in terms of um, whether or not you think kids should be able to, allowed to play um, multiple levels in the same in the same uh, week. Uh, Coach Hines, we start with you earlier, so let's um, let's start with you.
1: So with the new rule in California this year where we've got to limit the number of games players can have and document, you know, what what they're playing. And the the CIF did a great job in breaking down exactly what that looks like. Um, I have mixed feelings about it. You know, first off, I think it's a great thing that the CIF is being proactive in trying to keep the game safer. You know, there's no doubt. You can see all throughout Twitter and coaches across the nation, the game's under attack. And, 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 you know, for those of us that have, have a true passion for the game and love for the game, um, we don't want to see it go anywhere. So making the game safer, you know, kudos to them. Um, I think it can be a good thing, but, you know, being a smaller program as, as we are here at Coronado, we're looking roughly mid-60s right now, and that's freshmen through seniors. Um, it can be a good thing, but, you know, I was talking to some of my coaches the other day, if we have, let's say, we're up in a game in the fourth quarter by 21 points, or down by 21, and we want to pull that starting quarterback to keep him healthy or to get someone else reps, it may not be that, that safe of an idea to put someone in that isn't ready and hasn't gotten the JV reps. So, I, I think as as a team, and not I don't mean just Coronado, but as a team of coaches throughout the state, as a team of officials, we've got to do our job in making sure that we can police ourselves, making sure that we're not breaking those rules and keeping our kids healthy, getting them the reps they need in practice so they are prepared to play when we do put them in. So I I, I think it's a great thing that they're doing. Um, Just going to make sure that we're keeping our kids safe.
0: Coach Gladnick, a little bit different story. So you are at a North County school. They don't have the same rules as the city school does, city league does. So talk to us about what's going on in North County. And then you've coached in both Claremont and Torrey Pines and been on both sides of the spectrum here. Uh, Go ahead and elaborate for us on, you know, how that's impacted you.
2: Okay. Um, Well, you know, in the North County, we have a rule that no player can play in two games in one week. so for the North County conference schools, the rule change is not an issue at all. Um, at Claremont in the city league, we played our JV and freshman games on Thursday, and you were able to bring up JV kids to play on the varsity on Friday night. And quite frankly, at a school like Claremont and some of the city schools, the ability to do that is critically important because you don't have the numbers in your program that you have at some larger schools, you know, here at Tory this year, we'll probably have about 150 kids in the program from freshman of varsity. You know, at Claremont, we probably had 55 kids, 60 kids. So, you know, I think the CIF and they're trying needs to be sensitive to the fact that some schools need kids to play up to field a team. Um, I know some coaches are concerned, the new rule, there's quite a bit of reporting and accountability in that process now that didn't exist before. And in the end, I I guess when you're dealing with the safety of kids, that higher level of accounting accounting has a place, but I also sometimes wonder, is it going to be too difficult for coaches and too difficult to keep track of all of the things that you're being asked to keep track of? So you know, from my point of view, it's kind of a work in progress and we need like every every time you change a rule, every time there's a significant, you know, change in policy, then you got to have a working period to see how those changes actually are implemented and if they're practical and if they're effective and if they actually work. So I think there's going to be um, an adjustment period for the teams that do play up. And I think there's going to be a lot of record keeping and you know, we just have to see how programs and coaches, you know, respond
0: to those new requirements. Coach Bernard, again, same as Gladnick up in North County. Uh, Grossmont League doesn't ha- – has the rules where, you know, you can't play multiple um, games in the same week. So this new rule doesn't really affect you too much. But go ahead and give us your thoughts on uh, what do you think about playing multiple games in the same week. All right. So uh,
3: Grossmont rule, uh, you know, how how it always works the CIF has their rules. And each conference can make another rule that's a little more strict than their rule, but obviously can't go any any less. And um, it's kind of uh, ironic that the rule came out because it's been allowed for uh, heck. I'm I'm going back, you know, 25, 20 years that I know of where they've been allowed to play multiple levels. That's it's freshman JV, freshman of varsity, whatever. And the Grossmont Conference, uh, we have in, in our constitution, it's not allowed, period. Um, I believe it changed um, back right after uh, when Jerry Ralph was at uh, Santana and Gino Pirelli was playing there and he'd play on a Friday night and then our freshman Thursday night and then go play varsity Friday. And that's kind of where it got started. And in our, in our league, it's taboo. You, you, you're not allowed. You, you play a down of JV or freshmen, you're not going up to any, any other levels until the following week. So this new ruling doesn't do anything for us. Now, we have talked as, as coaches. Uh, sometimes we don't think it was fair. We'd go play, for an example, I'll just use Madison. You know, not that they do it, but, you know, we're playing a city school, and you would see some kids on their JV team against your JVs, and then game's over, and they're changing their jersey, and they're going to their varsity teachers. So we always kind of thought that was a little bit of a disadvantage, you know, because you could, and we talked about it, and and so now that CIF they actually have a rule in place, so it's not just carte blanche. You don't just get to play offense and defense and JV and come up and play offense and defense and varsity. They actually put some some meat into it. So, you know, I, I think that's a good thing, um, you know, because perception, you know, that, come on, the more you play. <laughs> but we're already fighting this little thing with, with people thinking we're not safe when as coaches, we are going overboard to make our programs more and more safe and learning and and studying. But, so that's the perception. Um, You know, do I like, do I think they should be able to? Yeah. And here's what I think. Um, I'm not a, a, a proponent of a kid playing a whole game on, for example, JV at linebacker and then coming to varsity and playing, um, you know, two quarters at linebacker. I, that's just not my personal opinion. I think that's too much. But what I do like, and I and I have been a proponent of it, is, you know, a lot of times there's a sophomore. I'll use an example. Let's say there's a sophomore linebacker who's an unbelievable kicker. He could probably be your varsity kicker. Well, I would rather play him at his linebacker spot for his whole JV game because he needs to get better And he's not going to play much on varsity. But then again, you look and the guy's putting the ball in the end zone for no return and he's kicking 45 yard field goals. You should be able to have him come and kick for you. Or let's say your number two quarterback is also a sophomore. Well, you want him to get his reps playing JV if you can. But then again, if your varsity quarterback goes down, do you want to go to number three or four, or do you want to go to number two? Well, he's on JV and he can't dress out for varsity. So that's kind of where I look at it now. I'm also a little bit more important right now because a lot of schools are down in numbers. And it's really weird because I'll give you an example. We're going to probably have 115 kids in our program, but no, I'm at 160. A uh, few other schools are that way. So we're going to be small numbers in our and freshmen. But then I look at Granite. Now, yeah, they're a bigger school, but they have 80 freshmen right now. So my thought was for some of the smaller, the smaller squads, let's say you have some guys on freshmen that you know play the quarter or two and you come back bring them up to jv the next day and they can maybe play a quarter just kind of fill out both squads and i haven't really thought it out enough how you could do it because you know so that's where i am on that whole thing so you know the rules there now that may make it a little more strict than it has been and put some controls on it but someone still has to monitor it so
0: all the coaches brought up some good points. Uh, you know, Gladnick was talking about the different rules in North County, and he he's had a good uh, sense of you know how it helps teams and how it, um, you know how it hampers teams when it, when it comes to small programs having kids be able to play multiple levels just totally saves them. And then of course you know at Torrey Pines they have enough players they don't really need it too much, um, so there's no reason for them to uh, do multiple things. Uh, aside from that. You know, Ron Burner again brings up another good topic. They just never did it. It kind of leads to a disadvantage to the East County schools when they play city schools because they, city schools are allowed to have multiple guys play in the same game or in multiple games, and the East County is not, and it does serve as a disadvantage. Um, but everybody brought up good points and that was a good good, good first show uh, for us. That will do it on Inside the Huddle with Braden Sopranit, a show that's by coaches, with coaches, and for coaches. Stay tuned on Monday. Be on the lookout for San Diego Prep Insiders Top 10 of the county. That's going to be launching coming out on Monday. And I'll be releasing my individual vote um, as well. Um, see who I voted for for the preseason. Uh, and then the UT, uh, poll is going to be coming out soon as well. Make sure you check that out. And then anything else we do here at San Diego prep insider, we're going to have all be represented all over the camps. Um, I'll be out there around, you know, showing up at your guys's practice, interviewing, doing uh, breakdowns of previews for you. And then, uh, Christian Pedersen is going to be leading the charge over at Mira Mesa high school as they, uh, focus, um, as they're the main headliner for our, uh, grind the grind um season three i think it is now season three of the grind featuring the Mira mesa marauders uh so that does it for me and uh we'll get ready for uh next week as we'll have three more coaches on to discuss more topics and uh that's it uh, inside the huddle with brayden so let's buy coaches with coaches and for coaches with San Diego prep insider we'll see you guys next week